every once in a while, uh, we love to take some time on, uh, during our services to hear conversations, interviews with different people. Last week, we um, heard about a church plant in Memphis uh, with, with Kevin's son, John, and, um, and so we like to have these different conversations with people, and this morning, we're going we're gonna to have one of those uh, that's actually going to uh, take up the remaining of our time this morning before we uh, turn to communion and, and worship some more at the end. And um, before we, we do get to this, that conversation that we're going to have this morning, um, the last week and, and more, we, we have seen in our world um, a darkness um, at its height in so many different forms. Um, we just sang, sang a song about fear. And how so many people are entrapped and enslaved to fear. Uh, We see it in our world. We we see the darkness in so many different forms. And it could be easy at times to be overwhelmed with that. For us to become fearful. uh, Maybe to go places. Um, Sometimes that darkness can even overwhelm us as Christians. And we can maybe feel hopeless at times. But I want to remind us. That the God that we have just spent the first 20 plus minutes singing about this morning is a God in in the midst of a dark world brings hope. He brings hope. And he doesn't want us to live in fear. Jesus says over and over again throughout the New Testament, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And so as believers this morning, we, we can have that hope. We, we, we can walk in freedom from fear, and, and we can live in a world, even though it's dark around us, and even though there's so many problems and circumstances that want to cause us to drift into fear, into hopelessness. I want you to know that we have a God who is big, and he has a plan, and he's God of a kingdom. We've heard that many times here. He's God of a kingdom, and and his kingdom rules and reigns even now. Some people might hear that and say, you're crazy. I don't see that. I don't see that goodness. I don't see that joy. I I don't see that love. I, I don't see that kind of kingdom that God says he has ruling and reigning. Well, it is, and it rules and reigns. It has its presence here on this earth through his people, the church. And that's what he has called us to be about. That's what he's called us to be. Jesus, who's the hope of the world, he's brought together a people to bring hope, to literally be, he says, the light of the world that dispels darkness. That's what Jesus does. That's what his presence does. That's what his church is to be in this world. In the scripture, it tells us, Paul says this, and I I love Paul, man. He, He was right in the midst of it. And so next Sunday, we're going to start a series on, on 1 Corinthians, and, and he lived in midst of problems and struggles and tensions and, and persecution and things like that. And so next week, we're going to launch into this, this beautiful letter that gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to live out the gospel in everyday life in all different types of situations and circumstances. And that's next week. But today... I want us to hear a story, a a real-life, present-day story of what it looks like to live in darkness, but to be the light of the world as the church. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 
chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's who the church is. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What did God do? Well, Paul says, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so Paul is saying that's the great joy that we have and why we are not enslaved to fear and why we are not enslaved to sin and why we are not a people of hopelessness is because God made Jesus his only son, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we could become right with God and stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he says, church, that's your identity. Now go in light of that and make an appeal to the world. Compelled by the love of Christ, go and tell the world the hope they can have, no matter where they're at, in the darkness of America, in the darkness of North Korea that we're going to hear just a little bit, no matter where they're at, take to them this amazing message, be my ambassadors. And so whether it's in your community, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your school, teachers, students, this week as you begin, many of you, or next week, this is who we're to be, ambassadors. As though God is making appeal through us to the world, saying, come and know my son Jesus and know the hope of the world. And so this morning, I, I want to invite up a couple who, who God has called uh, to live out this gospel in real life, just as he's called us to do it. And so I want you to hear this conversation this morning that we're going to have, this story. So I want to bring up Dr. Stephen Enjoy you and you guys come on up here and, and join me this time. I'm going to change the chairs up a little bit and give you, you guys a back to the seat so you guys can kick back and relax. All right. Anybody want to play guitar while you're up here? All right, wherever y'all want to go. Cool. All right. Well, I'll tell you how this came about. Um, so I have coffee with G. Young every Tuesday morning, Pastor On of Nanum Church. And so you guys know that. So it's like Tuesdays with, with G. Young. And it's like, and it, Mondays with Maury. Who's that? Maury? Tuesday, whatever. With Maury. Okay. Well, I have Tuesdays with G. Young. And so for the last 14 years, brother, 14 years, so... And so every once in a while, he'll throw a little twist in, in the meeting, and he says, hey, you've got to meet somebody I know, this, this friend. And so um, he brought Stephen. <laughs> and that's how we got to, to meet, and Stephen started sharing, and I was like, man, the Ridge has to hear this story and what, what God's just doing in the life of, of, of Stephen and, and Joy Yoon. And so um, that's how this came about this morning, and uh, they came to 9 o'clock and, and shared and, and stuff, and so awesome time. And uh, this morning, um, I just wanted to start by uh, sharing a little bit about who they are, and then I'm going to let them talk a lot. And um, Stephen 
uh, is a medical professor at, in the capital of North Korea. And so I'm going to let them tell you the name of the capital because I don't say it right. I don't. Joy. <laughs> yeah, so for uh, about the on. last. Is it on? I think it's on. Is, he, is she on? For about the she last good? Um, five or six years, we've been living in the capital city of Pyongyang. There you go. You got, no, you can keep that. All right, cool. So did y'all hear the name? Okay, that's the capital. So that's where Stephen has been uh, a medical professor there at the school. And uh, Joy is an educational therapist and, and also uh, a special ed teacher. Um, and, and the work that they do there in, in North Korea is a work that, that they do together. And uh, it's just an incredible work that you're going to hear more about. They also have, have five children as well. And so I'm gonna, this is where I'm going to kind of pass it off to you guys I know as parents, we like to talk about our kids, so Joy, you want to take that? <laughs> yeah, we have um, five kids from ranging from almost 18 to two years old, so a pretty big range. Um, our oldest will be turning 18 next month, and she's going off to college to John Brown University in Arkansas, and so we'll be leaving her behind in the U.S. when we go back to Asia in about a week and a half, awesome. and then our second oldest is... Um, that's not our daughter. Yeah, they're, <laughs> this, this they're, comes later. They're playing. They're playing a little bit back there. They're good. So kind of ignore the screens just for a little bit. So, um, sorry. Our second oldest is 15, and his name is Caleb, and uh, he has future dreams of maybe coming back to Texas, maybe Texas A&M for engineering in the future. And then our third is Anna, and she's 11 years old. And our last two are adopted. So our first three are our biological children. But we've adopted uh, children uh, with the heart for children with developmental disabilities, which we'll be sharing with you in a few moments here. Um, but our fourth child is Jacob, and he's adopted from the country of China. And he has mild cerebral palsy as well as some other associated disabilities. And uh, he's doing really well now, receiving therapy daily. And so he's improved dramatically. But he will be six in October. And then our last child we just adopted in this past December. Uh, she's from the country of Georgia. And if you don't know where that is, that's uh, south of Russia next to Armenia, that area. And um, she is going to be three at the end of the month, but still very much the size of a two-year-old. She was born prematurely with congenital deformities. And so this past year, we've been very fortunate to um, have the services of Texas Scottish Rights to really um, help her. And so she's been through about four surgeries in the past six months. And uh, she just received her prosthetic leg. And so she's learning to walk for the first time in her life. Wow, that's amazing. That's awesome. So as a, as a family, um, I, I know that there's, there's uh, uh, God has, has called you guys and uh, uh, to North Korea. And so this morning, if, if you could just kind of share with us a little, little background to, to the, before we get to North Korea, get a little bit to the background of, 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 of your story together. Yes. Um, thank you so much for, uh, Pastor Jerry, for giving us this opportunity to share with you and our life story and journey uh, living in North Korea. Uh, and um, as you can see, that I, my background is that I was born in South Korea, and I moved to the United States when I was 23 as an international student. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, I really heard God calling me into uh, world mission. Uh, 
and especially uh, when I was going into college in South Korea, I was majoring physical education and uh, thought that uh, God will call me to, to, to go to uh, some country. And since I've been a swimmer all my life, um, I thought I'll be a swimming coach uh, and do missions in uh, closed nations. Um, but um, in one night, when I was already 23 at the time, almost graduating college, God really spoke to my heart, uh, Stephen, do something impossible. When I heard that word impossible, immediate thing that came to my mind was studying. Because I never had to study in my life. Because growing up as a professional athlete in South Korea, <laughs> uh, even because we are going through the, the 1988 Seoul Olympics, so for the, the athletes like us, the government gave us 25% of grade points. Which means if you get a 50% on your actual exam, on your report card, uh, it really appeared as 75. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> With that benefit, I never really had to, to study uh, in my life. And I thought that's going to be, you know, just I know how to swim. I know how to coach, you know, swimming. So that will be my profession to, to carry on my missions calling. But my third year college in, in South Korea, in prayer for my future and missions, God really spoke to me, impossible, and thought about, oh, impossible? I never studied before. That was my impossible thing. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll go to, you know, study further in physical education, maybe master's in, in, in doctorate, whatnot, and be a professor. And then God didn't really settle my heart. And then as, as I continually seek his heart and his will in my life, he really spoke to my heart deeply about medical mission. And then I was praying, and I, and I felt this medical mission thing, and I, I woke up. I, I got, I opened my eyes, and I almost spoke to the Holy Spirit. I think someone else was praying for this next door, and <laughs> <laughs> I can do this. And then I, I sat down, and I started thinking about this, that when God called us to do something impossible in his will, then it is not my job. It's I just need to obey and surrender myself. It is a God thing. And God's power will enable me to do this. And, 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 and that equation really came to me really uh, in confidence that, yes, Lord, I, I surrender my life to this call. So age 23, I moved to, to Illinois. And um, I didn't speak any English and uh, gone through uh, ESL, and then went to uh, college where I met Joy. I think yeah. I should stop right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Joy, <laughs> you, there's your part. <laughs> yeah, so even though I am a typical um, American, I was born in Illinois. My parents are from the Midwest, Illinois and Indiana. Uh, but I actually moved to South Korea when I was around two years old. My parents were missionaries with our denomination. And so I grew up in South Korea, uh, and I became a mixture of cultures, I guess you could say. Um, we like to call us MK's third culture kids because we grow up in our home culture, which is American, but they were all also exposed to the, the host culture where we're at. And in this case, that was uh, Korean culture for me. And so I was a very confused youth. You know, as a teenager, we're, also, we're often confused anyways, but I was even more confused uh, because I didn't really know who I was or where I was headed. 
Um, I had accepted Christ as a young child, but I really didn't understand my identity in Christ um, until about I was 15 years old, and I was attending a conference with my parents. And we were uh, attending a worship service, and I don't remember a single word of what the pastor was saying, but I do remember that God almost literally spoke to me. It was like a light bulb went on in my head, and I knew it was just a knowledge of God saying to me, I want you to go to North Korea. And at that moment, I started to realize why God had orchestrated my life to allow me to grow up in South Korea so that I could someday serve him in North Korea. And so um, I started to accept that calling, and, and peace started to flood my heart, knowing my identity in him and in his will for my life. And so I went forward that night and dedicated my life to missions. Um, I guess the pastor made a missions call because I don't remember <laughs> anything he said. Uh, but I do remember <laughs> committing my life that night. Awesome. And uh, then would later on went to um, college to meet Stephen. But at the time, uh, this was many years ago, obviously, and we didn't know anyone working in North Korea. North Korea is a very close nation as far as we knew. And so it was really going to have to be God to open the doors and allow us to, to really be there and for him to fulfill his calling in my life. And it wasn't until we met in college, and um, Stephen was the only Korean on campus, and I had just come from South Korea, so we like to joke that he, I really had no choice. He was the only man on campus for me. <laughs> well, we fell in love in the midst of all this, yeah. but uh, having no competition really helped too. <laughs> yes. So uh, our, our mission's calling, and we also were both biology majors and became friends, and, and that grew into love and grew into serving serving the Lord for uh, missions calling. Um, yeah, but it, basically it wasn't until 15 years later that God did open the door. So I was called at 15, but I had to double my age <laughs> in order to uh, have that calling fulfilled in my life. And I just want to encourage you that when God calls us, he is faithful to complete that which he began in us. And so even though we, a lot of times, we want to see things happen instantaneously, we have a patient and uh, God who, who's willing to wait for us to get on board. Um, and so I just want to testify to you today that God is faithful, and mm. he, he did complete that calling in my life. Awesome, awesome. And so you guys meet, you meet in college, and uh, North Korea starts to come into the, the picture a little bit. So, so tell us a little bit about that, how, how that all went yeah, about. That, um, the calling for going to North yeah. Korea really started, you know, as, as Joey mentioned, in, in age 15 and God spoke to her heart. But uh, growing up in South Korea, you know, we as a South Koreans, um, we also had our, our government propaganda and taught in our schools as an anti-communist uh, education was so strong in South Korea. Uh, we were taught as North Koreans are, uh, have horns and tails. It, that was uh, almost mm. in, uh, in our textbooks mm. and uh, to learn about North Korea. So uh, that was my image of North Korea, mm -hmm. um, that darkness and, and there's evil uh, residing in North Korea. But uh, when we got engaged and we are about to get married, maybe uh, this question was uh, asked after we got married was a little bit, answer could it be different? But uh, it was before the, 
the wedding, she asked me this question. Stephen, I know because my calling was to serve in the Middle East uh, in, in the Muslim uh, nations. So I know your calling is to go to um, Islam nations. However, if God, then I will go with you if God opens the door for us to go to Islam nations. But however, if God opens the door for our family to go to North Korea, would you go with me? So when I heard that question, the image of God that came to my mind was God is good God, good Father. He always gives us good things. So he will never, ever lead us into the nation so evil. So with that faith that God will never, ever do that to our family, I answered to Joy. This is a very serious statement to her. Yeah, sure, Joy, if uh, God opens the door for us to go to North Korea in faith. Uh, I will go with you in faith that he will never do that. Uh, I, will, I will go with you. And that was actually the journey mm. that how, you know, we got together. And then after eight years, uh, I finished my training here. And then I, I was running a multi-specialty clinic in, uh, in Los Angeles downtown. And I met a gentleman, an actually couple, uh, early 30s, had a a three-year-old child and one-year-old child, ch child. And, and that family was living in North Korea, northern province of North Korea, with a Christian identity among North Koreans, raising goats for the goat meat for people, goat milks for children in North Korea. When I witnessed that, I got so excited because, wow, I didn't know that Christians can live inside North Korea. So I went home. That night in the meal, and I started sharing to Joy. Joy, guess what? You know, I met these crazy people <laughs> living in North Korea and raising two children there. And Joy got so excited. And wow, then we should go too. Mm. So that's how really actually happened to our family. That was, I think, 2005. Awesome. And uh, it took us two years to, um, you know, get rid of what, the, all the responsibilities and everything that we had in the states and, um, and involved in mission organization and get more training. And then we were sent in 2007 to go to North Korea. So you've been now in, in North Korea for, for 11 years. And so I, I know a lot of people here this morning are, are probably wondering the question of, okay, well, what is North Korea really like? What, what, is, what is the reality over there? Because we hear and see different things through news agencies and, and, and social media, and, and, um, and so we have maybe this picture of what it's like, just kind of like what, what you did. Um, share with us a little bit about um, what it's really like in North Korea. Now, thank you, Pastor, for mentioning that, because actually what we hear on the media sometimes can be very um, skewed, mm -hmm. obviously, and mm -hmm. so we, we're not saying that those things aren't true. In fact, they are true, but there are only one glimpse of what North Korea really is. And so as we were able to live in North Korea for about 10, 11 years, uh, we got to experience a little bit of what it was uh, like to be a North Korean. Uh, as foreigners, we can't fully experience, we can't fully know what it really is to be North Korean, but we, we do get to experience some of it. And so one of the things about their society is it's very controlled. And so as foreigners, we are also um, under that control system. And so we weren't allowed to 
live in the places we wanted to live. We either had to build our own house or in the meantime, we lived in long-term hotel. Now, when we say we lived in hotel, it might sound luxurious to you, but actually their kind of hotel is uh, very rustic. Uh, but they did want to put us in the best hotels as foreigners. And so they made sure we had a hotel that was completely supplied with electricity, the heating, and everything it had electricity. Um, the only problem was that in the winter, these very cold winters in the northeast region where it can get to minus 30 degrees Celsius, which is around freezing Fahrenheit, uh, the electricity wouldn't work because all of their electricity is powered by hydropower. And it's either frozen or they're saving the water to conserve the water for the farming season in the spring. And so we um, literally had very little, if any, heating in the winter. So basically, our toilets would freeze over. <laughs> and if we left our, you know, a glass of water overnight, it would be ice the next morning. And uh, so it was, it was quite cold, and it was quite an adventure. And so one time, we said to our oldest daughter at the time, Sarah, who was about six or seven years old, we asked her, Sarah, do you want to go out to China where it's, you know, warmer, we have a better um, living in situation, and kind of stay there for a few days or even a few weeks and then come back to North Korea um, to, to warm up? And she said, Mom, Dad, this is fun. <laughs> well, what's so fun about it, Sarah? And she said, well, well, we never have to shower. <laughs> we, never, <laughs> we never have to change our clothes uh, because we didn't have hot water either. So we never asked our kids to shower in freezing cold water. And we never asked them to change clothes because just to expose their skin to the air was cold enough. So we just asked them to layer on more and more. So, you know, a week could go by without a shower. And it was a fun life for them. They really enjoyed that kind of rustic living. So during this time, I think one of the first lessons that we learned from our good father was that, you know, when we talk about God's blessing, uh, we say that when, when we had additional things added on to us, something good happened to our family members, something, something unexpected good happened to us, then we said, God blessed us so much. But when Sarah said, yeah, it is so fun, you know, when Joey asked and I, we asked, you know, it's so cold, can we go to China and warm and come back? That means we were cold. We wanted to go <laughs> out. <laughs> if, if, you know, it was, uh, you know, when, when our children also say that, then that gives us good reason to, to, to excuse ourselves to, mm -hmm. to go out. But when Sarah said it is fun, that night I learned the lesson of the redefined the tr the another meaning of God's blessing. Mm. God's blessing at the time wasn't because God gave us good things to us or additional things to us, but despite of environment, because of her attitude, because of her laugh, we were able to stay through the, the place where God called us to be with and the, with the relationship that God has brought to us in North Korea, and I realized that is real blessing. Yeah, amen. The blessing that help us to stay on this calling, despite of the wilderness hasn't changed and 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 desert hasn't changed, but but you see the glimpse of God in the midst of that. Amen. That that was beautiful uh, lesson that we learned. Awesome, yeah. awesome. Now, tell us a little bit because because we hear about North Korea being a closed nation, and Joy, you mentioned that too earlier. 
Um, what what does that look like uh, for you guys, and, and and what's been your experience with that? Um, yes, it is very closed nation. It is a very controlled society. Uh, even the North Koreans themselves, if they need to to get out of their district where they are living, they have to go through a very official permission for them to go out of their district, even visit their relatives or other places for business. So it's a highly controlled and highly closed nation. And as you know, the, not many foreigners are going there because of that mindset, is that the, the, this country is a very close nation and not welcome foreigners to, to come to their nation. However, living 11 years in North Korea, we found something very different than uh, what we've new before, is that North Korea, as a government, has been wanting to open their country to associate with the other nations so that their country can develop. However, because of, as you all know about this nuclear program, all these militant issues, other nations, Western nations and UN nations, has put blocks around them with the UN sanctions. So we realize that it is not North Korea close themselves, but it is outside nations close them so that they, can, they will give up their nuclear program. So this is the, the political aspect of the, the surrounding. Mm. However, in, as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, in mission point of view, we found that as a great opportunity because we found out that North Korean government welcomed foreigners to come and engage in their society, to help them, to engage with them, to deliver a better knowledge, better uh, way of thinking and, and things. So we found out that if anyone is willing to engage in North, come to North Korea, government welcomed them. Mm -hmm. So it is not only United, United States, but also even place like now, um, place like uh, uh, Mexico, Brazil, place like Mon Mongolia, those churches that we send missionary to. Now the church has grown and, and they're becoming, becoming a missional church and sending their national to missionaries. They're coming to North Korea as missionaries. And then countries have been welcoming mm. them as well. Mm. So that was a, a great uh, way to, to learn uh, that there is a great opportunity for mission engagement mm. uh, in North Korea. Amazing, amazing. Now, yeah. I, I also, we've, we've talked a little bit about this. Um, I dropped this on you at the 9 a.m. <laughs> but want to share, want to hear from you guys kind of the mentality of, of a North Korean who, who has grown up in North Korea for their, for their life, kind of the mentality that they have. Because I think as you guys start to share the work that you're doing um, here in just a bit, knowing what the soil is like in North Korea and, and, and the thinking of people there, kind of the ideology of the people, is probably very significant, too, to know of what kind of, kind of the gospel, in a way you could say, is up against. And so could, could you guys share a little bit about that, the mentality? Yeah, as you know, North Korea is a communist nation, and so all communist nations are officially atheists. Um, but there's more compounded upon that with North Korea. Uh, you're probably all familiar that there's a Korean War back in 1950 to 53, 
And during that Korean War, uh, what, one thing that we're not taught as Americans is um, what happened through the war. Um, now, we're not saying that there's anything good about the war because obviously there's many different reasons why that war occurred. But um, basically, war is difficult on both sides. It's, it's tragic. And so what ended up happening was that um, North Korea particularly was carpet bombed by the United States and the United Nations. When I say carpet bombed, it's um, in all of the wars that have occurred worldwide, North Korea is the second most bombed nation in the world because of that war. Um, Cambodia is the only nation that was bombed more than that. And so uh, about at that time, about 9 million people um, lived in North Korea, um, up to 1 to 2 million people, civilians, we're talking about civilians, were killed through those bombs. So you can imagine the, the amount of um, trauma that occurred in that country. Um, and the problem was that a lot of the US soldiers that went into North Korea, it's not a problem because it was good, but for them, it was a, a problem. They, some of them had Bibles. Some of them had crosses that they wore around their necks. And so North Koreans associated the tragic um, mass murder of their citizens with a Christian nation as the United States. And so they associated those two things together, that this Christian nation uh, killed millions of our civilians. And so it's become a very traumatic thing for them, and that's what their view is about God and about Christianity. And so part of our ministry is untangling that, saying that is not who God is. God loves you. God created you. That you, um, that the United States, what happened in a war, war is tragic as itself, is not who God is. And trying to unravel that and represent Christ as ambassadors for Jesus Christ and say, um, you know, God loves you and um, Christians are not bad people. So I think this is a very um, sensitive issue to even bring up in, yeah. in our church setting. Uh, but here, we are not talking about who's right and who has right to yeah. do things. I'm talking about within these situations mm -hmm. the, where we, you and I know that the North Korea is marked as uh, usually the number one. Uh, the, uh, most, the Christians are most persecuted um, in the nation and the whole world. And then we have to untangle why the North Koreans have this perspective. Yeah. Then how do we approach them as a Christian? As we, we were asked in the Bible by Jesus Christ, and go make disciples. Mm. Then how do we communicate mm. God's goodness in terms of, of their context? Yeah. So I think this story is important in that context. It's mm. not about justifying or explaining mm. A political situation is talking we are sharing this mm. to you as then people of God children yeah. of Christ and disciples of Christ then how do we then cross this barrier this yeah. stigma uh, and share who Christ is yeah. with them so understanding their mindset their trauma is we we, we really uh, felt that was important for us to go through. And, and I appreciate that. I'm losing my mic here. But I, I appreciate that, you sharing that, because I think it's so significant to know, you use the word context, and I think one of the things we forget about in, in mission work is the idea of contextualization of the gospel. And um, sometimes we, 
we forget to understand where people are coming from and, and their background and their history. And, and to know that and understand that, I think, is significant. And so I appreciate how you shared that, because I know that can be delicate, <laughs> especially over, over here and, and sometimes in different audiences. But, but I'm with you. I, I get you. And, and just it's so important to know what, what, what people are thinking and where they come from, their background. Um, You've been involved in a lot of projects there in North Korea, and so tell us a little bit about the, the work that you actually do there and, and share that with us. Yeah, we work um, with a team uh, that we call a community, Ignis Community. Now you can see on the slides, you can pay attention now. <laughs> um, Ignis Community, so it's a group of um, missionaries, actually. We're all commissioned missionaries sent from churches around the world. About half of our team are Chinese nationals sent by the Chinese church. And then the other ones are um, from the United States, as well as South Korea, Mongolia, um, the Philippines, um, and Singapore. So we have quite a few different nationalities on our team uh, working in North Korea. And um, if we move on, uh, here's a picture of our team a few years ago. We're growing uh, as young families join us and have children. Go ahead. Getting the shoulder tap there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, as you know, as a church, one of our callings is just to be in North Korea as worshipers. Uh, John Piper says that missions exist because worship does not. And so we are there to bring worship in North Korea. Uh, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this dark world. And so we really believe that prayer and worship and spiritual warfare is a key component of the ministry that we do in North Korea. And so as we go inside North Korea as a community, many times having to live literally in the same home together, sharing the same kitchen and bathroom, um, we, we have this motto as a community that the center of our faith, of course, is Christ. In the center of our lives is community. We have to first demonstrate love to each other before we can say we love North Koreans. Uh, we, that community, the church that, that we are inside North Korea as a body, as our team, that we are a demonstration of the body of Christ to North Koreans. Mm -hmm. So we love each other first in community before we can really love North Koreans. And then the center of our work is reconciliation. As we shared in 2 Corinthians 5 today, that we really feel like our calling is to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And ambassador is usually not, you know, someone who immigrates to another country. It's actually somebody from one country going to another country to represent their home country. And so as ambassadors of Christ, we're there in North Korea to not represent America, but to represent the kingdom of God. And we're not there to be necessarily become North Koreans. We are there to um, contextualize the gospel, as the pastor explained. But we're there to represent God's kingdom and who he is to them. And so uh, we believe a big component of that is reconciliation, first between God and man, and also between cultures, between people, um, maybe even between countries. And so uh, our legal platform in North Korea is primarily humanitarian work. Our whole team, um, we have three major different teams um, that it's split it up into. Um, the first humanitarian work is just providing food and clothing and supplies to um, kindergartens and daycare centers throughout North Korea. Also, we, um, we support rural site clinics, providing medicine, 
uh, to um, remote farming and fishing villages. Uh, we also have a, a social entrepreneurship, which is basically um, a, a business that hires local people, providing them jobs and also feeding them hot lunches. Um, but this particular company is a shoe manufacturing company. So they make shoes, and we raise donations around the world at cost for the shoe. And so we're able then to then distribute the shoes that we make to orphanages all throughout the country. Um, and then re more recently, as we shared, our family has moved to the capital city of Pyongyang and um, doing more medical work and medical training, uh, particularly working with children with developmental disabilities. Um, we are focusing primarily on uh, children with cerebral palsy and autism. So um, as Joey mentioned, that, that's one of our family's primary uh, job in North Korea is working at Pyongyang Medical School and developing pediatric rehabilitation program and also developing special education program for kids with disabilities. Uh, it all happened because of uh, we met this one lovely child. Her name is Pokshin. In, in English translation, literally, it is Pok as blessing. Shin means God. I'm not sure if they actually use this Chinese, particular Chinese character to represent this name, but to me, that was what God was speaking to me, God's blessing. And uh, she was already four years old at the time, 2012, January. That's when the grandma brought her to my clinic in northern province of North Korea. And my third child at the time was four years old as well. And as she was untangled, uh, undoing her um, grandchild from her bag and placing her to my arm, I quickly find out that she has a, a very severe quadriplegic spastic uh, condition that her fingers and, and legs and toes are all straight out like this. And head turned left, jaw opened wide, uh, because jaw muscle was completely locked. So she couldn't chew food herself. So grandma will chew food in her mouth. And with the chew food, she will transfer that food from her mouth, grandchild's mouth, and help her to swallow. That's how she survived for four mm. years. Mm. And as I was holding her and started treating her, I really didn't know, have a hands-on experience with CP child and treatment. But best I could do, I was doing my best and just praying over her. And each time I close my eyes and pray over her in my heart, it's just God's overwhelming love compelled my heart and poured upon me. And the word of prayer come out from my mouth was, my child, my child, how you're born here in this nation and have this much of sickness go through sufferings like this. And there was a prayer over and over in my heart. About two weeks of treatment, continuing treatment, her fingers started moving a little bit more comfortably. And grandma will testify to me saying that, Oh, doctor, when I bring my child, uh, grandchild to you, she's always like a stiff and in my bag and straight out like this. But each time she received treatment, when we go home, she hugs me from behind me because she's more relaxed. And I got so excited. And so I fly down to South Korea and learn two weeks short crash course on CP treatment and go back and, and, and continually uh, provide care for her. 
and look at her face. I mean, she's really an angel. And as we are continually treating her, uh, about April of same year, 2012, uh, we learn and more and more we learn this statement. When children like CP or, or severe autism and severe other developmental disabilities were found uh, by doctors or at home, the society, even physicians, will tell parents like this, it's so hard for normal people to survive. Don't let them suffer too long. Let them die quickly. So when we learn that this is a kind of not cold-hearted um, way of treating people, it is because people do not have options and, and do not, there is no system has developed for people like this. So this was the best they could do. I mean, it's really hard to say words using like this, but that was their uh, society and issue. So after we learned this, we kind of dropped everything else and really started focusing on kids with developmental disabilities. And about um, several months treating um, Bokshin, I, our family was invited to move from northern province to the capital city of Pyongyang. So we moved to, to Pyongyang teaching in this medical school. So when we went to medical school, I talked to uh, the school director about uh, this child, uh, Bokshin. Um, that I was treating her, and she has quadriplegic CP, and I'd like to continually treat her. Can I bring her from northern province to the capital city? Without um, further um, long story, make short, uh, medical school director allow her to come to the school, and I started treating her. And when people saw that foreign doctor helping a quadriplegic CP child daily base, because a lot of outpatients, inpatient people saw it, and they started making phone calls to their village, because they remember they knew somebody, they, their neighbor, hiding behind their door and raising children like this. So they will make a phone calls and tell them, bring your child to, to Pyongyang Medical School. There is a foreign doctor helping a child like yours. So within a month, the kids with the CPA and, and other kinds of developmental disabilities started showing up in front of my treatment room. It was amazing sight that how many showed up. And during this time, one child, this is a life-changing uh, experience that, that our family gone through. Nine-year-old, this girl, her name is Uin, uh, heard about our program and checked into hospital. She also had a quadriplegic. Her arms and legs could move, but there's no coordination so that she cannot sit down or stand or walk by herself. So she checked into our hospital 2012 October, and we put all our heart and effort to her, and there are about three, four doctors along with me in, in helping her. About a year of long treatment and many uh, procedures that she gone through. 2013, November, Uyim becomes our first quadriplegic child checked in and be able to walk out of hospital by her own Amen. effort. Amen. So this is the photo that uh, after she walked out of hospital, um, uh, she went to school. And uh, she took her photo and sent it to me. 
The story is this. When she was walking out of school, uh, out of hospital, I remember her dream that she mentioned to me during her treatment. You know, her dream was, when I asked her her dream about three months after I met her, and, and I asked her, Owen, what is your dream? And she said, uh, doctor, my dream is walk to school with my friends. So when she was walking out of hospital, I remembered this. So I kind of stopped her. But I have to explain this to you. When she was uh, walking out of hospital, it's not only she was walking out of hospital, it was a big ceremony. Because the word spread out so that North Korean broadcasting company heard about what was happening to this child's life. So they sent broadcasting uh, team to film her so that her documentary was actually aired in 2014 February of how she was able to walk out of a hospital through the, the treatment like this. So she was a very famous person. So there was a big ceremony happening. And when she was walking out of a hospital, I stopped her and asked her, because I remember her dream was walk to school with her friends. So, Win, now what is your dream? You can walk to school with your friends. And she stopped walking out of, walking and, and looked at me straight and she said, Dr. Yoon, when I grow up, I want to become doctor like you so that I can help children like me. Mm. When she said that, there were like tears all around and parents who heard that, the parents who had people, kids like CP and other disabilities and the doctors were started crying and crying. And that night, when our team was praying together, the sense of God's presence come, came upon us and really spoke to our heart really deeply and encouraging me was this. When we were living in North Korea, because the winter was so cold, because we didn't have a good education systems or opportunity for our children, that did not cause us to pack and go home. I mean, those hardship, we prepared it. We knew it. So when those things happened, we were able to stick through. But there are moments that we really wanted to pack and go home. And there were moments we were so discouraged and, and we really wanted to escape from North Korea was when we felt that there was no fruits in our labors. When we don't see any fruits with everything that we do there, was so discouraging and so hopeless in our lives being in North Korea. But when she walked out of the hospital, there was a one doctor saw all this and what she was speaking to me. And that doctor visited to me that afternoon and she was crying and crying and speaking to me and saying, Dr. Yoon, I did not know we could help a child like this. And she was crying and crying, and, and what's going on? And then she said, I have sent so many parents home with their children and telling them, let, don't let them suffer too long. Let them die quickly. What should I do with all those family that I sent back home and let them die quickly? And she was bawling and crying. I, I calmed her down, and I held her hand, and I spoke to her, Dr. Han, we can start to saving one child at a time, starting today. Let's do that. And I calm her down 
her and send them home. That encounter really, really encouraged our heart. It wasn't our words convinced them about importance of life, whether we were born with a full functional body or a less functional body. And that determines the importance of life and value of life. But as they witness us serving one child, society didn't even have anything for them. And then one doctor's mindset and perspective on a life shift completely from whatever life is, it's important. And I realize that is gospel. That is Jesus working in North Korean's heart and changing their perspective on life. Mm. So that really encouraged us. And this is a story that we really wanted to share with the church as an encouragement. God is alive in North Korea. And I never thought, and even though our family was called to go to North Korea and live there, even we pray that we'll surrender our life to, to you in North Korea. But we never, ever thought, is God alive in North Korea? with all the news, all the stories that we hear about North Korea. But as we experience one life at a time start to happening in North Korea, mm -hmm. I realize God is alive in North Korea. Mm -hmm. And that's the testimony that I, we want to share mm -hmm. with the church. It, it, it's amazing. And, and I know that the word, and, and I'd like for you to share a little bit about this. I know we, we're going to go a little bit over time, but they're a little used to that, so they're okay. So, um, but I, I want them to hear this before we start um, wrapping up. It, I know words started trickling up, up the, kind of the chain a little bit, and uh, could you share a little bit about that as well? Just, um, yeah, I, I didn't say that the same way I did at 9 a.m. <laughs> Just how words started going up oh, yes. to leadership of the country, and uh, does that help you a little bit? Yeah, so okay. <laughs> Wynn's story and other kids' story was reported to the Minister of Public Health. And Minister of Public Health came to me and saying, Stephen, we didn't know this. we had this much problem with kids with CP and autism and other development disability. Let's do something about it. And then I thought, hmm, I think we need a greater change than just the Minister of Public Health coming to me because working with the kids with disabilities is not only treatment. We need to have education. We need to have a social system to continually carry uh, you know, people who have less function than us, uh, physical function than us. So I challenged them and I asked them if a great leader signed a new policy that this program is not only Pyongyang Medical School, but all entire medical school and to entire nation, then I will pursue this. Then they literally took my word, our suggestion, and, and, and submit this proposal to the great leader that, that you all know. <laughs> and uh, he signed a new policy 2013 December that all medical schools now have to teach pediatric uh, rehabilitation program to medical students so that there will be a, 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 a professionals who can diagnose and who can now be able to, to carry on um, their treatment. Not only that, and then Joy continually persuade with the government. It's not only treatment. We need to educate them so that they can be in the society so that 
that, that uh, special education was also birthed uh, through this program in, wow. in North Korea as a part of their uh, society and amazing. their change. Uh, truly amazing. Yeah. I, I look back to the calling that you had at 15, to that word that God gave you, that word impossible, and just to kind of sit in here and, and you know, it, it's amazing to hear how God faith, how faithful God has been and continues to be through you guys. Can you, um, just as we start to wrap up, can you share a little bit about what's going on now? I know you've got a little bit of pictures about what's happening there. Um, I will share um, the prayer request with you as a, as a kind of project prayer request, and Joey, you will share our family uh, prayer request. Um, because of this development, uh, North Korea didn't really not have a, a right facility to, to help children with the developmental disability. So since 2013, we started building a specialized hospital in medical school campus specialized in kids with this, uh, developmental disability, not only for the kids, but also educating doctors for the, as a post-grad mm -hmm. uh, program, resident program. So uh, we did a groundbreaking 2013. This is um, a pretty uh, high uh, cost project, about $3 million project. And it's been really difficult to do fundraising because of the missile test, because of nuclear test. And people said, you know, we don't want to support <laughs> North Korea. But little by little, the funds started coming. And uh, we've been really experiencing God's provision in this. So, so far, we have raised $2.6 million to complete uh, the building. So now our building uh, is inside out finished. And we are just waiting for fun to come to, um, to furnish the, the building. So we are waiting for medical equipments and, and uh, uh, inpatient beds and things like that to, to come. And uh, we are doing the last portion of fundraising in that. Good part of this is that United States Treasury Department, Commerce Department, and State Department given us a full license to continue on this. Uh, wow. despite of sanctions. Wow. And now we are waiting for the last paperwork from the UN Sanctions Committee to allow medical equipment to go into North Korea. Mm. And I got a phone uh, email day before yesterday from State Department that application looks really good, then you should not have any problem getting wow. the license very soon. So Amazing. That's <laughs> Praise amazing. The Lord. Praise the Lord. So please pray with us that yeah. this, uh, we will be able to finish this uh, project well, so that we can really, really encourage North Korean government and North Korean society to help and care uh, kids with disability in their society. Not only that, through this platform, I really pray that the, the kids with disability and developmental disabilities not only medical issues, there's education, there's a job training, there's a social welfare structure that needs to come. This has all spectrum of life um, contained in it. And so I pray that through this platform, many other Christian foreign engagement can mm -hmm. happen mm -hmm. in the country of North Korea so that we can be a salt and light in that society, in the land. Amen. Yeah. Now, Joy, um, before you share just your family prayer requests as well, one of the things I wanted to share was that Joy had, had written this uh, book, and um, it's called Discovering Joy. And um, it, it's about their, their 10-year experience in, in North Korea. And um, 
And so you can, you can grab this. I'll send this out tomorrow in the e-news as well, but you can grab this on, on Amazon. And it really gives a great picture of, of their experience in North Korea, the, the message of, of reconciliation that the, the gospel is about and, and how they've, they've seen that there. And so um, um, be a great, great purchase just to learn more about what they've shared uh, today. Uh, she also has a, a blog as well. Uh, it's, it's called Joy Ellen. Uh, com. I think I got that right. Is that right? And so she blogs on that and just shares about um, their experience as well in North Korea and, and about their family and the work there. So I'll send that out tomorrow so you don't have to sit there and, and remember all that. But um, Joy, so lastly, just share with us, how can we be praying for you as a family and, and as you guys head back in a week? Is that right? Yeah. Yes, thank you so much for inviting us here today and um, letting us share with you our story. Um, just one more thing about the book is the book's not written specifically in a Christian perspective because that can be very sensitive as anything that's in um, published is an, be able to be read by the North Korean government. But it, you can read through the lines in the book because the purpose of the book is basically uh, to bring a human face to North Korea for people to really understand um, more behind the scenes that, that they are people just like us and that they are people that God loves and that God is calling back to himself. And so um, I encourage you to read that if you're more interested. But as our family is um, faced with several challenges, um, even though the U.S. State Department has granted us permission to go back to North Korea and continue our work, um, we're not allowed to bring our children to North Korea. That's one thing that the State Department has not allowed. Mm -hmm. And so our family is no longer able to live there. And so our family is in the process of transitioning to South Korea, a base in South Korea. And we will be traveling back and forth uh, throughout the year from that base. And also um, hoping to train future workers, as Stephen mentioned, not work workers necessarily from the United States, but also from Brazil and Mongolia and China and um, Mexico and all around the world as God is calling up his church for um, the people in North Korea. We want to be a part of helping them prepare uh, through learning the Korean language, but also helping prepare them for the context of North Korea. And um, hopefully they will go on uh, to North Korea to serve alongside us or other teams working inside. So we'll be doing both of those ministries in South Korea. So please pray for our children, especially our four kids, um, Caleb, Anna, and Jacob, and Esther, as they will be transitioning and moving to a new location. Uh, they don't know anybody there. Um, some of them will have to learn Korean for the first time, especially our two adopted children. They haven't learned Korean yet. So pl please pray for our family's transition. And also uh, pray for our oldest, Sarah, as she's being left behind in the United States. Uh, this will be her first year on her own. Um, but, you know, most kids are on their own in college. But for her, she doesn't have the option of going home during spring break or Christmas break. And so she will literally be on her own, mm. um, even though we hope to see her once a week, a year or so. But um, please pray for her in that transition. Yeah, and she's... Going to what university again? John, John Brown yeah. University, which is an interdenominational yeah. Christian awesome. liberal arts school. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, I want to take some time and, and just could we pray for uh, Stephen and, and Joy this morning? And um, I really felt like 
after I sat with Stephen, um, that this is someone I wanted to introduce you guys to, and then just a conversation that needed to be had and heard, and, and I just, I've, I've been blessed uh, so much by uh, our first initial uh, meeting, and then just listening to you guys, and and um, watching some things online about you guys, and I've just been blessed by the ministry that God has given you, and just God's faithfulness, and uh, it's a great reminder to us as the people of God that um, the gospel impacts every part of life, and how God has given us all a, a platform uh, with our work, our, our families, our, our neighborhoods, our friends, uh, to, to make an impact as well, to be the light of the world, and to, to be ambassadors. And uh, so this morning, I, I just want to, we could take some time to pray for uh, Stephen and Joy, and, and so maybe some of you guys want to come up on stage here and, and pray around them as well. We often do that here at the Ridge, and so I invite you to do that, but we want to just pray for them, and then we are going to worship just a little bit at the end and, and, and celebrate communion. I know we've gone a little bit over, but I think your stomachs will last, and I think we still will beat Prestonwood. We might even beat some other churches to lunch, so you guys will be okay. I'm just saying, and it's just contextualization, right? <laughs> in action. <laughs> so hey, let's, can we pray for them? Can we come and some of us just pray and, and lift up this sweet family? Um, why don't we come, you want to come down on the floor? That'd be pretty cool. They've been sitting in a chair in a while, so maybe to stretch out a little bit. Can we pray for, for Joy and Stephen and um, their family and just the work that, that God has for them? That'd be awesome. Thank you for some of y'all doing that, and it's great. All right. Cool. Just as you're there, would you just pray um, and begin praying for them? Father, you are a, a faithful God, and Father, we, uh, we praise you for your faithfulness this morning, and God, just what a beautiful picture of the gospel, uh, Lord, how, how the gospel, uh, Lord, can, can cause, um, the power of Jesus can cause a, a girl to walk, and uh, Lord, uh, how the, the power of Jesus can, can change the mind of, of even a doctor um, about life and the value of life, and Lord, uh, how the power of the gospel can, can change uh, just even a leader's heart, a, a medical uh, leader's heart of, of what needs to be taught in the country. Uh, Lord, that's what the gospel does. The gospel changes everything, and so Lord Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you for the gospel, and we thank you for Stephen and Joel. We just pray that you continue to use them and their family uh, Lord, the, the Ignis community, Lord, uh, of brothers and sisters who, just like them, are, are faithfully walking with you and faithfully loving the people of the world, the people of North Korea. And Lord, we pray, Father, for uh, provision for 
the ministry there, the, the medical supplies, of furnishing these, uh, this building, Lord, funds for that. We, we pray, Lord, uh, that you would continue to work and move in the people uh, of this great community that's come together to, to serve the people of North Korea. Lord, we pray for uh, Stephen and Joy and their family. We, we pray for their oldest who will be back here, that you would provide everything that she needs for life and godliness here as she goes to college, Lord. We pray for the other four and just the new experience of a new place and different things that they're needing to learn. And Lord, as, as, as ministry even looks a little bit different for Stephen and Joy with a new place, uh, Lord, where they're going to be serving out of and going back and forth, Lord, we pray Father, for them, that your spirit would lead and guide them, would be before them, and you would be their rear guard, Lord. Continue, God, to work and move. And Lord, we pray for the nation of North Korea. We continue to pray. God, give them a new mind. Give them new thinking about the gospel and about Jesus. May they see that in people like Stephen and Joy and this Ignis community, Lord. And Lord, as people are taken from this in slavery to, to these disabilities, Lord. We, we pray that even them, as they get to experience time with the Ignis community, Lord, that the gospel starts to just land on their heart, and they start to see that the beauty of the gospel, and Lord, that that message would just continue to trickle to communities, and God's lives would be changed. And so, Lord, we just pray for your spirit to move. We pray for revival in this dark place, this nation, Lord. And Lord, encourage us along the same lines to where we are in our life, that we would remember that the gospel is powerful. It does the impossible, as we've heard this morning. And so, Lord, thank you for that. Do the impossible, even in our midst. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. We're going to continue this morning, and we want to invite you during this time to come forward and experience communion. There was a great message today that, that you heard. And it's a message that, that God is saying to the world, come and be reconciled. Come and be made right. And that's the story of the gospel. It's a story for all peoples, of all walks and all lives, no matter where they're at. But it's a story for everybody in here today too. And we want you to know that, that God took his son Jesus, who was perfect, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we could be right with God. We could become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And he wants us to be reconciled to him. I don't know where you're at today, and I don't know how this landed on you, but I hope that you heard the message of God's love this morning. And I hope you heard this morning that just like God loves the children that you saw in those pictures with CP and other disabilities. He, he loves you. He loves you no matter where you've been, no matter what your life has looked like. I want you to know that God loves you right where you're at this morning. And so know that Jesus died for you so that you could have life, that your sin could be forgiven because of what he did on the cross. And he came to save you. He wants to have a relationship with you. So if you're here today and, man, you, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we'd love for this to be a great time for you to, to really step out and take that 
step of faith and say, I want to trust in Jesus. I, I want Jesus to come and be my Savior, to change my life. Over here in a corner, Greg and, and Joda over here, some right. One of our elders, they'd love to talk to you about what that means. If that's where you're at this morning, I'll be around as well. And there's others. Um, we'd love to talk to you about that. But we also want to remember this time together as a community that Jesus died, that he rose again, and that that gospel story has impacted us and changed us. And so we remember that through communion today. And so John's going to lead us in worship, and we're going to celebrate the gospel. We're going to celebrate our Savior this morning as we take communion. And so um, let me pray, and then we'll come and receive the bread and the cup together. And you can come up here and gather the elements and go back and partake in that. And we'll pray and sing together, and then we'll dismiss in just a bit. Father, you are good. You are awesome. You are amazing. And we took a little bit extra time this morning, but I think it was well worth it. Thank you for our children workers who are flexing back there and, and just doing an awesome job. But, Lord, it's all because... Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's alive in North Korea. He's alive here. And, and he wants to, to change our lives. He, he wants us to be ambassadors, Lord. And so we come now to remember what Jesus has done as we hold the bread, as we take the cup. And Lord, I, I pray, Lord, for those that may be here today that have never trusted in you, Lord, that they would take that first step and trust in you this morning as their Savior, as their friend, as their God. And so, Lord, we come now to remember what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's come together. Let's worship in this way this morning. Let's come. <laughs>